0: Hello, I'm Thomas Dixon. Welcome to this first episode in a new podcast series called Living with Feeling, looking at emotions in the 21st century from some surprising angles. It's brought to you by the Queen Mary Centre for the History of the Emotions, where we study the past to understand our feelings in the present. In this series, we're going to encounter robot nurses and emotional algorithms, therapies for childhood trauma and happiness lessons in primary schools. But we're going to start by asking the big questions about emotions, past and present and future. What makes them healthy or unhealthy, good or bad? And who better to help me answer those questions than a psychotherapist and a priest? Two individuals who through their work and writing have had more opportunity than most to reflect deeply on emotions. Philippa Perry is a psychotherapist. She's the author of The Book You Wish Your Parents Had Read, And Your Children Will Be Glad That You Did?, and the Ask Philippa advice column in The Observer. She says that responding to your children's feelings appropriately is foundational for their future emotional health. Reverend Giles Fraser is the vicar of St Anne's in Kew, as well as being a journalist and author. His most recent book is Chosen, Lost and Found Between Christianity and Judaism. And in 2017, he made a series for Radio 4, This Old Heart of Mine, about the experience of surviving a heart attack and bypass surgery. It gave him the chance to reflect on matters of the heart, physical, emotional and spiritual. Welcome to you both. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you feeling today?
1: Oh, you know, a little bit stressed because I forgot my keys. (laughs) Um, And so, oh God. ugh. But trying to put that to one side and be in the moment. There we go. I'm in the moment. Wonderful. Uh, Neutral. I'm in Neutral.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm feeling a bit jaded because I've just started a new job and it's involved lots of pressing the flesh and drinking lots of red wine. And so this morning I'm feeling like I really need a detox.
0: (laughs) Well, it's a hard life. It's a hard life. Well, I'm so pleased that you're both here, uh, lovely and informative guests, to help us start thinking about emotions and feelings for our whole series in episode one. In your work, you both must encounter other people's strong emotions all the time. Uh, and you represent two different, highly influential Western traditions of how we should think about those feelings in Christianity and psychotherapy. Obviously, those are very different approaches. But one thing that I think they have in common is that they portray us human beings as inherently messed up, broken, uh, to use the religious language, fallen, and you know, suffering from original sin. So I wonder if I could start by asking you, Philippa, do we all have some kind of mental illness or to use a phrase i hear a lot do we all have mental health?
1: Um no. Let me just say that categorically. <laughs> you're fine. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel distraught. It's okay to feel anxious. I don't think these things are symptoms of being poorly in any shape or form. It's just to be human is to feel things from pleasurable to not pleasurable,
0: Gee. from
1: okay to not okay, and, and that is fine. It doesn't mean you're ill if you're having a strong feeling about anything.
0: Do you worry that people in our society today too quickly go from having strong feelings to thinking they've got an illness or a disorder?
1: Well, that seems to be the fashion, yes. And I think feelings have always been subject to uh, social contagion. I noticed when EastEnders was very popular that the rows happening in the park I I live opposite a park, seem to be getting louder and more East Endery. And I I think people copy other people. That's Mm. what we do. We all copy other people, you know, because we have to fit into society. And I think the fashion at the moment is to be hyper, hyper vigilant Mm. about one's feelings and quick to put them in a box and slap a label on them. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a particularly helpful way of being, but some people find it helpful. And
0: it's often a medical label. It's, you know, depression or anxiety as a disorder.
1: I'm not saying that people don't feel bad, Okay, I'm not saying that feeling awful isn't there, but I'm not sure that it's helpful to always label it. Because I think then... We move away from our own experience, we don't stay curious about ourselves and we lock ourselves in a box.
0: Giles, do you think that religion and philosophy offer alternative, maybe better ways to think about emotions uh, than medicine and psychiatry?
2: I agree with a lot of what Philip had just said. Uh, I do have a sense that that there's something about us that's not quite right and that's always going to be not quite right. But I don't think this is some great tragedy that we need to um, to be constantly sort of weeping about. I, I do have a sense that, that two things have happened to emotions that are not really in the sight of emotions. One is that we feel that rights language has given us a sense that we have a right to be happy. Mm. And so I think there's one of those sorts of things. And I, that's the sort of mission creep of rights language. And the other thing is the sort of technocratic way of achieving that through technology. And so that we have this sense that we have a right, we should be happy, and that that can be delivered by technology. And I think the combination of those two things is is very very dangerous. I mean, I think there used to be something which we don't really think of as a virtue anymore, called sort of fortitude, mm-hmm. or um, you know, forbearance, or bearing with things. And uh, I'm I'm much keener on that. Mm-hmm. Um, that there is a there's an element of the sort of pain of what it is to be human um, that is to be born, not necessarily fixed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we all have, the, I think, a shared sense that we are in some sense kind of always going to be dealing with difficult and slightly messed up emotions. And that is the normal human state. That's where we're all we're all going to be in that position. I wonder if you can both help me with a feeling that I have very strongly that I don't quite understand, which is that I'm very happy about the idea, which we find in both psychoanalysis and Christianity, that human beings are all somehow disfigured, disordered or broken. But I really don't like the idea that we've all got a mental disorder, (laughs) that we've all got a mental illness. Am I right to see a distinction between
1: those things? Well, I think, you know, because we are mortal and we form attachments, we will be sad that these attachments are necessarily broken because of our mortality And so I'm not sure if I'd call it messed up or broken, but I think, I'm with Giles, that these are feelings to be born um, because uh, we become attached to people and they move away or they die. And we form in relationship with others, so that person that we were when they were there, somehow, you know, that part of us becomes a hole, becomes a becomes a gap, and I think this is what we have to live with. And I wouldn't call it messed up; okay. I'd call it that. This is this is the price we pay for how fabulous it is that that we we become attached to others.
2: That's exa- that's. I'm sorry, this is going to be a lot of agreement here, but <laughs> that's exactly right. And I just think it's it's problematic to pathologise our vulnerability. Right. So we have vulnerability. Vulnerability is inherent in the human condition. You know, when we're babies, we depend upon something outside of our control for our satisfaction, and that is that that is inherently problematic. We're not self, we're not self soothers, and some mm. you know we depend upon others. And if we depend upon others, then the, the our satisfaction can be thwarted by. The mother withdrawing her presence or her boob or whatever it is early on. And so we very, very early on learn to have to deal with our own vulnerability. And our vulnerability is also the basis through which we actually touch the world. I mean, it's, 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 and if we try and shore up our vulnerabilities, we actually shore up our connection with other people. So our vulnerability shouldn't be pathologised. It is a source of pain, but it's a source of love. It's a source of how we connect with other people. So it's that's the...
0: Dilemma that you have. So, the, the, the great experience of love takes me on to the more uh, happy and sought after emotions in our lives. So, emotions can be a source of pain or even mental illness, but they can be you know, the greatest source of, of, of pleasure in our lives. Um, and one thing that I see quite a lot on social media and so forth are these very positive messages about emotions, especially from mental health charities, saying things like, Your emotions are valid. Uh, and, Philippa, in your book, you've written, Feelings are feelings. They are never right or wrong. So this is a point I wanted to push you on a bit. Can feelings never be wrong?
1: Um, well, you feel what you feel. And um, it's not the feelings that are right or wrong. It's the actions we take because of those feelings that, that could be considered moral or immoral. So it's not the feeling itself. It's what we do with the feeling that, that can become wrong. So if I'm really, really angry... That isn't wrong. If I'm really, really angry and take a punch at Giles, then that is wrong. So it's not my feeling that might be wrong. I'm not angry with you. just sort of (laughs) put that down. It's not my feeling that might be wrong. It's the action I might take.
0: Just to push that slightly further, how about if you were angry with Giles because I told you that Giles said you were a boring idiot
2: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, and it turned out that he hadn't.
2: You really
0: yeah. do want to pick a fight, don't you? <laughs> I had maliciously made that up. Would your emotion then not be just wrong because it's based no, it's, on false it's, information?
1: It's not wrong. It's, um, it's me predicting what Giles, would my prediction of what Giles might think of me, that would be wrong. But the feeling I have because of the prediction is not wrong. Yeah,
0: it's mistaken, but not wrong. So, Giles, what's your take on that? Can emotions be invalid? Would you sometimes want to say, oh, as so a Christian to someone in your congregation, that feeling is really a big mistake?
2: So there's lots of words being used here, and I just want to be really precise about them, which, which one it is, invalid, a mistake, and all yeah. of that sort of stuff. So the other night, uh, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm sleeping with all the family. So we're all, We've just moved house, so we're all in one bed, and my 5-year-old uh, started hitting me. OK, at uh, two o'clock in the morning. Well, I was bloody furious. I mean, absolutely furious. And he t- So I whipped him up downstairs, put him on, and we we're going to have a bit of time out in the middle of the night. Now, Philip is right to say, you know, the, the action is terribly important. But the emotion was so strong, I actually... My feeling at the feeling was that, you know, I I, I had to calm down. I had to... Uh, be careful of that feeling. The feeling itself felt uh, just excessive to the situation. So I'm a little bit less sort of... I'm a bit more anxious about, you know, every feeling you can have is okay. I'm slightly anxious about
1: that. Um, If if you feel like you might get out of control because your feeling is so strong, then, yeah, you have to talk yourself out of it because you don't want to take the bad action of, you know, hurting your child. So... That's what you did, yeah. so it wasn't, but if someone's, if you wake up because someone 's putting a fist in your face at two o'clock in the morning, um, what you do then is you predict you have a prediction, and your prediction is i 'm being attacked, but I wonder if and it I... happens in... It's, it's so split second yeah. and then you, you react to your prediction rather than to being hit
2: I guess one of the questions here is. What we mean by emotion okay what, what what constitutes an emotion, because there are some things that I'd think of that look a lot like emotions that I do have problems with morally and so forth, so jealousy, okay, mm-hmm. so is jealousy an emotion well i I don't know it feels sometimes it feels a bit like one, sometimes it doesn't, so for anger's an obvious one, yeah, but something like jealousy, that seems to be sort of a borderline case of whether it's emotion, and I do think it's and I do think this when I'm feeling you know oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz? Yeah. I think to myself, actually, there's something wrong about that emotion, but we may not call it emotion, I don't know. I,
1: I, I like to think of uh, feelings like that as information, as telling you what you want. That's information, because if you suddenly feel a pang of jealousy about someone, you think, oh, what, what is that about? Let me unpack that. What have they got that I want? And maybe that's telling me... Because it's quite hard to find out what you do want in life. So maybe that can be but, a useful emotion rather than a bad emotion.
2: Yeah, so here where we do get point of disagreement, I think, and it's the difference I've had with psychotherapists quite a lot, which is to say that there's almost... And I love psychotherapy and I've been in it myself and I, you know, I spend a lot of time reading it and so forth. But I wish sometimes they would stop you know, saying, nothing's a moral issue. <laughs> We're not moralising anything, you know. So, and I want to say, actually, there are some things that no, you want I'd to moralise. No,
1: moralize, I'd moralise behaviour, but I wouldn't moralise the feeling you have in response to the prediction you made. Okay. I don't moralise on that. But if you just go out then and, and scratch my Mercedes-Benz, then I, I could moralise about okay. that.
0: So, Philip, if I hear you right, you'd say you'd never feel ashamed of a feeling. You would never feel like, oh, I've got that information about myself that I'm a jealous uh, person, or an avaricious person, or a lustful person who is lusting after my neighbour's wife, or whatever it might be, and feel ashamed. You should be
1: really, really wrong to think that your your neighbour's wife belongs to your neighbour. That's possession. That's something else. But there we go. So
0: that might be something to be really ashamed of as well. Yeah,
1: but that isn't a feeling. That's just a sort of cultural implant, Mm. isn't it? But I think
0: the cultural implants are right in the feelings all the way through. Yeah, they are. Yeah, and that they give. So when you say you get information, you do. Get information and, and like Giles yeah. I sometimes lose my temper with my children and feel not just that I shouldn't have shouted but just that I shouldn't have felt angry yeah that's what I feel that it's sort of shameful that I am not the kind of person who can remember that love is patient love is kind <laughs> and be able to realize that these are young children of course they're annoying
1: at two o'clock in the morning when they
0: hit you yeah 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 I think I think Giles t- shouldn't have got angry
1: you mm. think Charles shouldn't have got hang- angry when a, a child that's really upset about moving house and everything um, starts to hit you? Absolutely, in the of the night. especially
0: because he's a man of God. Yeah, yeah, he <laughs> so should be I an example my, I, to I thought thought us I thought
2: my emotion was unreasonable. I mean, I understand. You know, I mean, I, the reason I can say it on the uh, on a podcast is because I think people will understand. why yeah, 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 So yeah. it's entirely understandable. But nonetheless, it, I also felt the fact that it was this excessive feeling of sort of rage. Of being punched at two o'clock in the morning was a sort of feeling that I shouldn't have had, however sort of understandable it may be and i i don't know so i have a, I moralize
1: the inner more than you do, i suppose yeah, then. I mean, I feel like what's happened is that next time you're punched at two o'clock in the morning, you'll remember this. And you'll remember that and and you'll be less angry about it and perhaps more curious about why someone's punching you at two o'clock every
0: morning. If Giles came to you for some therapy, would he receive unconditional positive regard from you? Or would you sometimes say,
1: Giles, that's awful. I I wish it was the first one, but it would probably be the second one quite... (laughs) So some sometimes comes I'm on into the couch, <laughs> I'm terrified. Now, don't be terrified. Um, I think it's entirely reasonable to feel very, very angry when you're woken up. It's not entirely reasonable to act out on that anger. So, I'm all for the feeling. I'm not for the acting out. You've got to split those two apart.
0: So, Giles, as a Christian, um, presumably you can't go along with the idea that feelings are always okay, and that people should receive unconditional positive regard, because surely you're in the right and wrong business, and so is God.
2: Uh, yeah, though it's, it's, uh, it's not always straightforward to know what they are.
0: But and, I mean, uh, Jesus also says not, some very shocking things about, you know, if you even think this thing, correct. then you've committed so, a sin. So you can, exactly you can sin in right. your head.
2: Yeah. And this is, and that, you see, that's a really interesting thing. Even if you look at a woman lustfully... You've committed adultery. That's to say in Matthew's Gospel. Now, this what's going on here? Because, as it were, you can't help yourself, so it sounds unreasonable. So I think that sort of stuff is intended to produce in the audience a sort of crisis of, uh, am I good? Am I this sort of perfect being that I... And actually, once that crisis happens, then the next response has to be, I cannot fix myself Help me. So yeah. that's a
0: that's a that's a religious rhythm, you know. And the idea that you should never feel lust uh, at, at all is a very hard thing to hear, especially um, for well for everybody. But probably, it's, it's, I don't want to it's, judge it's, who it's has impossible. most problems. So with this lust. is impossible. I mean, it's 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 supposed to be
2: impossible because it's supposed to remind you that even if you do things that you feel, you know, not doing them is impossible, it still is a part of the fallenness of the human condition. I mean, that's to put it bluntly, you know. Yeah, so that sounds a bit However, if you never
1: feel lust, then the human race is going to die out altogether. Yeah, yeah. So it is kind of contra-biology, that one, isn't it? Yeah,
0: which brings us very nicely to another topic I wanted to explore with you both, which is the role of biology uh, and our brains uh, and our sort of brain chemicals and the way we're wired up in explaining and understanding our emotions. Because one of the themes we explore in this series is um, a range of different ways in which agency seems to be taken away from the individual. So if you say, it was my brain that did it, you know, or it was my anxiety that did it, or it was my anger issues you are your brain. that did it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So do you think there's any worry about us explaining things away like that?
1: Yes, I do. I don't like that at all.
0: Okay, so you would say you are all those things.
1: Yeah, you are your anxiety, you are your brain, um, and you can observe your anxiety. You don't have to be your anxiety. I mean, you are your anxiety, but you've got got another, you're complex, you've got another part of you that go, oh, I notice I'm being anxious. Like, oh, I notice I'm being flustered because I've lost my keys. Okay, yeah. Um, I can notice I'm being flustered and so I can separate myself from the flustering and so I can do a podcast.
0: In in everyday life both of you probably come across people with problematic emotions which lead as you were suggesting earlier Philip to problematic behaviour so for yeah. example angry children in the classroom being violent or swearing or dis- yeah. disrupting learning. Um, you've probably also both come across parents and teachers who try to explain that, try to excuse that by saying, this is a young child, they have anger issues. Do you feel there's a worry there of agency being taken away or do you think that's totally appropriate that we should explain it in terms of, let's say, the trauma that child had experienced five years earlier?
1: I think what we can do is go, Jimmy's angry. Let's help little Jimmy find better ways of expressing his anger, more acceptable ways of expressing his anger. I don't want to stop him being angry But I want him to be able to say, I'm angry about that, rather than throwing um, a book across the room or or kicking someone.
0: Should Jimmy ever be punished? If Jimmy's swearing at the teacher?
1: I I don't really hold with punishment as being a particularly good way of manipulating human behaviour. It tends to make Jimmy a lot angrier. So I think we should um, try and understand what it's like to be Jimmy and see what would help Jimmy express his anger in more acceptable ways. I mean, to save myself being kicked, I might have to put Jimmy in a straitjacket, but that's only for my own safety while I'm talking to him. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? I'm not doing it to punish him, but I might... Um, isolate uh, Jimmy from other children so he can't harm them before he learns to express his anger in better ways. What I'm not going to say to Jimmy is don't be angry.
0: Yeah. Giles, are there other feelings uh, in Christianity? We've already talked about lust and anger. Are there things like maybe despair that Christians shouldn't really feel and might feel that those are kind of sinful or immoral ways of feeling?
2: Well, there's a a whole list. There's a whole list of them, and they're not ones that... uh, Map very neatly onto our sort of modern concerns. So yes, despair is that a feeling? Uh, it certainly would have it's seemed to be one. Yeah. Uh, it's laziness. Some of the sort of monks in the desert were sort of like you know fascinated by their own sort of need for an afternoon nap, and this was sort of uh, a seer. I think exactly they it. right, a yeah. sedia. So this is a sort of this sort of crisis. Um, and now I, I'm very interested to know the map of. Our sort of emotional landscape that we used to have is very, very different now, and it seems to be a more reduced palette. I would suggest a more reduced palette of of emotional uh, engagements with the world. Um, you know, it's, it's you know, it's sex and money. These are our, <laughs> these are our uh, sources. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, and do you think? as I do, that um, you know, looking across the history of emotions, that as psychology and psychiatry have come to be really dominant sort of cultural forces in terms of shaping how we think about our feelings, that that has contributed to the palette, as you put it, being reduced somewhat to these kind of rather primary colours of anxiety, depression, anger.
2: I have a much, I have a stronger sense of the the, the sort of commonality between psychoanalysis and religion, both dealing in vulnerabilities, as I said before, and Uh, something my friend Adam Phillips writes about a lot and I'm I'm one with him on that so I don't want to make it a a psychotherapy and versus religion and I also want to say that actually as religion gets attacked and we're now that there is a sort of equivalent attack that psychotherapists get you know you're all in for the money you don't help us you there's I mean and psychotherapies and Freud is all those sorts of things are becoming very unfashionable these days and I I think it's it's a, it's a form of secularisation in a way. But yes, I do
0: think that there's this broader
2: sort of conception of what emotion is.
0: I and mean, I'm just very aware of the kind of language that we use today in the mental health conversation, uh, about empathy and um, mental health itself as a phrase, and trauma in recent years has become the answer to a lot of um, questions, trauma-informed approaches. Um, and as a historian of emotions, I'm obviously aware that the, the language and categories has changed hugely over time passions of the soul and affections and feelings and uh, freudian drives and libidos you know these these categories sort of come and go yeah and they change over time Mm. Um, and so i wonder what what reflections you both had on that about the changing histories of emotions and how significant that is for you presumably for psychotherapy it's all about history isn't it the the sort of intergenerational history what's,
1: what's quite interesting is that human beings themselves don't change much over the last you know tens of millennia we're pretty much the same. You know, we can feel good, we can feel bad. We're usually on a scale between feeling good and feeling bad. That's it. But what does change, of course, is the culture. And the culture changes enormously and is very varied around the world. Everybody notices how, you know, Middle Eastern women respond to the the death of their relations. Mm. And it looks like a a bloody good funeral with everybody screaming and wailing like that. Whereas I've, I've never seen anything more than a few stifled sobs really uh, over here. And I don't think we're feeling particularly different. We've just got different ways of expressing it, which, which is informed not only by how we're feeling, but how you act under those circumstances, you know, because of your culture. Um, the more words you have for your feelings, the better able you are to process them. So if you haven't got words for them and uh, you, can't, you can't pin them down, they're sort of incubate, and then they might scare you more because you don't know what they are. This is why people love a, a label. A, a diagnosis for, for how they're feeling yeah. because then they that, that helps them to process it. But I think we're in danger of having too few words to process what is very, very complex. And the more words and and the better we are at expressing what our individual experiences are, the better we are able to process them and put them from this sort of troubled... We can pin them down a bit better. So if 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 you feel troubled, they're in one side of your brain where they don't have words. Put them into language and you're better able to understand yourself and how you feel.
2: I, I'm 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 with you on the more words. I, I'm I'm sort of slightly Anxious about the expression that the, they always need expressing, and I was thinking as you were asking the question about how things have changed about the difference between the Queen and her grandchildren. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. going on up, you know, going sitting in opera Winfrey and expressing yeah. everything, or yeah. clearly gagging to. <laughs> and and um, and there's something about fortitude, which I think you know is a is a sense with. I'm sorry, this sounds like so deeply reactionary. I just have to. Mm-hmm. I just have to. Have to suck that one up, I suppose. But just like that, the one thing about Her Majesty the Queen has been that this sort of fortitude about bearing the sort of uh, the responsibility and the suffering, and obviously and so forth, and and her grandchildren clearly wanting to express it and express it publicly. That's the other yeah, thing and as have well. Have their suffering things, seen
0: and recognised,
2: seen and recognised, and so if you get there on Twitter. So this is a very different thing. There's one about expressing, then there's about expressing publicly. Yeah. So there's all those different sorts of things. So I'm I'm with you on the lots of words. I'm sort of slightly more anxious about the 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 expressing, about what the limits of that expressing are. You know, there's one thing to say it to yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, quietly. The other I, thing is. I'm just...
1: actually thinking when I say express it, I'm thinking expressing it to oneself, to make I a sense of it think. to oneself, not necessarily to broadcast it.
0: I mean, Philip, were you suggesting it would be good if we had more. Um, violently expressive grief at, no, at, in British I'm funerals. Not. You were just observing that there are different cultures. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying it would be no. better
1: or worse. No. I'm, it's it's just what it is. It puts me in mind of
0: 1997 when Princess Diana died and the Queen came under a lot of pressure to be more emotional. Yeah. You know, the, the press was saying, Mom, why aren't you weeping kind of thing? You know, yeah, why, yeah, why aren't yeah. you with your people expressing your grief? And obviously that was not her emotional style yeah. at all. Yeah. And eventually I felt rather sorry she went on TV and gave this very stilted speech about yeah. one's feelings and one's grandchildren. It's dreadful. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so, Giles, you saying be more queen? <laughs> be well, more I, 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 I actually think we've just yeah be more queen. Actually, I'd like <laughs> us to be a bit more
2: queen. I mean, I think there is a I think there is a role for fortitude, and I think that with and I suppose what I mean by that is that some emotions a. Um, and, and not really there for sort of public broadcast, but B, take time to process. So this thing about time. And the yeah. interesting thing about imaginally the Queen is like she's been on the throne this sort of extraordinary amount of time. And that you get the idea that the things that she holds, she holds over time. So, and and the emotions she does, rather than the idea that I feel something now, and then I say it two seconds later, and that's a sort of reality. Some yeah. things, and that's the sort of value of it being. Born
0: in some way. So, so I, the Queen I, is a sort of ideal parent for the whole nation. I mean, think well, about your book, Philippa. It's about parents being able to contain yeah, feelings for the children to say, it's I, yeah, okay, I've got I word, can hold that with you.
1: Yeah, I've got a word for you're born, which is I like it as containment. Yeah. And so when your son beats you at 2 a.m., it's about, okay, I can hold what the ideal is, yeah, yeah, is yeah. that. You're very angry, and I can hold you in yeah. this. It's okay. Yeah. I I can hold yes. it. I can contain it, and I think when someone can contain our feelings for us like that, maybe a parent or a sibling or a friend or even a psychotherapist, but you yeah. know that is extreme. Um, if someone can hold it and they're not too, and and their feelings aren't too much for that other person. That helps us contain our own feelings. We can have all the feelings, but if they spill out, then they impact on other people in a way that might not be particularly pleasant for them. So I think you're you're right, Giles. I think we do need to have our feelings, yes, but also contain them. So there's there's, there's, there's three ways of having your feelings, roughly speaking. You can be um, chaotic with them. That means as soon as you feel it, you're expressing it. They're mm. all over the place. Mm. You're ruled by your feelings mm. rather than than using them to inform you. Or you can be so rigid and so held up that you don't even allow yourself to feel those feelings. In that case, they burst out. And, of course, my way is the middle way. When you have your feelings, but you're able to use them rather than them using you. And this is how you get your feelings to inform you about what you need, about what you want, um, about how much you can take, how much you can't take or whatever. But... You're observing them and you're in control of them and you're containing them and so they're like your employees mm. helping helping run the it's, whole organization of the self.
2: It's very like what a priest what I think of as, as a priest's job is actually. Yeah. Because I, I, I would always say of church, the space that is church, that this is a place where you can come where your I suppose emotions, but I think broader than that. Um, is something that is taken seriously I, it, not necessarily fixed, yeah. especially the stuff you can 't fix this is the yeah. stuff that you bring that you can 't fix and we and it can be held in some way and then you could start talking about god but i won 't talk about that now but that 's the sort of that 's the sort of idea that it that these sorts of feelings can some i suppose contained yeah, but I would have contained. And this is the more religious thing, contained as it is. I mean, I'm, and what I'm doing here is I'm putting my arms in a containing yeah. space, but it's yeah. also Held, a hug. Hold, hold. It's a holding type yeah. of thing, isn't it? Yeah, and there's I love that, it like that combination yeah. of both, boundaryed, yeah. but also hugged. Yeah, you know. And for yeah. me, that's a sort of very religious type
0: of space. For... Yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. What we're talking about here is a and. and you can't see it if you're listening but Giles is, is physically giving a sort of hugging gesture he's not actually hugging us right now because there's <laughs> microphones and things in the way unfortunately but maybe afterwards um, but he's talking about a very embodied thing people coming yeah. into the church and being either physically or spiritually kind of hugged um, and that brings me on to another thing I wanted to ask you both about which is the difference between being physically in the presence of another human being and being down a screen on Zoom or on an app on your phone you know there are psychotherapy apps that yeah, you can oh get which God. there's not even oh. any human beings involved yes. At all, Um, or there might be a person you (laughs) know in another part of the world on on, on a screen. Um, So that that, that was a question I wanted to ask you: To what extent are human emotions only really fully human when they've got a body and a heart and and a person in the same room as you? Because you must have both had experience in your work in the last two years of having to try to do it through a screen.
1: Yeah, Um, what I'm thinking of when you're saying that is sometimes you can feel really held when you're reading a novel. Yeah, and, and the book explains a really complicated feeling or something that you've never been able to put into words before. And then you read it on the page and you go, oh, yeah, I get that. And you feel hell. So I don't... Another person is there. You know, the author has written that book. They don't know you or anything. So I think you can have a sort of remote love, if you like, um, and seeing someone on Zoom, I feel is better than seeing someone just on the end of a telephone. Hmm. Uh, but it's a bit difficult because there are slight delays. You can't smell them. I always say I need <laughs> to smell people when they come to see me, and they go, "Do you, what you go? To, you sniff them?" I, I think no. What I really mean is like I sense the air yes. when 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 you're with other people, and uh, I I don't I can't explain it. I don't understand it but i do need to have a certain closeness with physical Correct. closeness with other people uh, in order to really communicate
2: I am going to do a bit of theology here because the theological terms, Zoom is a very Protestant medium. <laughs> is it? Um, well, what, so Explain. I'm I'm a sort of Catholic type of Christian, which is to say that it's all about, you know, the body of Christ. It's physical. Yeah. You know, I have to, you know, I have to give bread. Um, it's all about the incarnation. It's all embodied. Whereas the more Protestant end of this goes all about the word. It's all about something yeah, that's yeah. that's, you know, not that's... incarnate. It's in your head. Yeah. So as a, as a, communicate for Protestants as a sort of communication mechanism
0: for the, the sort yeah. of word type of Christianity, it's perfect. I mean, the ideal Protestant experience is a Zoom with God, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. you it's, and God, and that's and, it. And,
2: and, and, and telling everybody else to get on the same, you know, line and yeah. so forth. So yeah. there's that. The sort of Catholic thing is it can't be like that. It has to be a physical thing. So it, It's been a real split in the church between those people who've liked it and those people who haven't liked it.
0: So what was your experience?
2: I hated it. I mean, I absolutely hated it. I mean, I loved the fact that we could reach people who were bed and there were some practical things like that, yeah. yes, of course. Um, but actually, the, it, it, it distro- I mean, in a sense, it destroyed the community because we were suddenly having people from Australia and suddenly having people from mm. all over the world. And suddenly, this wasn't a community rooted in space uh, and people who knew each other. It was a disengaged group of people who just had a shared sense of, you know, they like this particular way of doing religion or whatever. Yeah. And actually, it was. It, I, I found the sort of lack of place really profoundly damaging. Yeah.
0: So a connection via Zoom with a person you can see is better than <laughs> nothing, better than no connection yeah. at all, but it's very limited in terms yeah. of, the sort of emotional capacity. I, I was really I, interested in your example about the novel yeah. um, because that's a great example. And when, when I'm doing the history of emotions, I very often turn to art and fiction, um, yeah. novels, movies. Yeah, I
1: mean, when you see a painting or something yeah, like that, you and it touches you, you don't know. yeah, But not yeah, with yeah. a
0: person that you can see, but with a sort of imagined yeah, person. Yeah. But my question is, how about if a computer made that painting, or if an AI wrote that novel, would that ruin the experience for you? How about if you read a novel thinking it was by a human being and thought, oh, wow, they really touched me, and then someone told you, in fact, that was an AI-generated bit of fiction?
1: Well, AIs are... Um are made by people too, aren't they? So, oh, so it's still a. So I expect. I feel like,
0: cheated. Me too. I'm. I, I'm I getting quite angry even cheated. thinking about it.
1: I don't think. <laughs> I, I, I don't think. It. I, 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 I doubt a robot could do it. Well, I f- Well, yes,
0: but I wonder. I something that, that I've seen a lot of AI generated visual art. Yeah. And I do feel kind of cheated every time I see it. I feel like you shouldn't be allowed to do that. You know, that, that should be yeah. a human activity. It's one of the well, quintessential human emotional yeah. activities.
2: Yeah. Something we used to call soul, which we don't we don't speak about anymore. Yeah. But the idea that I mean, this business that you're going to talk about nurses, he may be robots, robots yes. and so forth. I mean, you know, then now that is for me. That's that way outside my sort of comfort. This is disgraceful. Well, I mean, know, I'm, I
1: bet a bet a robot can change your pants. I'm sure that's yeah. possible. Well, you know but what? But you know now. what? If anybody has to change my pants, and if I live that long, it might happen. Then I would like to be looked after with care and respect, and um, I'd like to talk about the weather at the same time. I'd like that feeling of connection. But a
0: robot could do that.
1: A I robot, can't. I've heard recordings but of these robots. They can robot ask you, Philip, how are you feeling
0: today? What's yeah, the weather doesn't, like today? But robot doesn't,
2: doesn't
1: give a shit. It doesn't give a shit. <laughs> When I ask you about the weather, yeah. I'm not asking you about the weather. No. When I say, what do you think of this weather we're having? I think it's very cold for the time of year. And if you agree with me, what you're saying, what I'm saying is, are you an agreeable person? And if you agree with me about the weather, you're saying, yes, I'm a, well, an like agreeable It's like Louis person. Armstrong
0: said, I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? And they're really saying, I love you. It seems to be small talk, but in fact, it's that. Fundamental connection, if I've understood you correctly, but by your face, maybe I haven't. No, it is. It's sort
1: of like when when we talk about the weather, what we're really doing is saying, I'm feeling agreeable towards you. How are you feeling towards me? But we don't say that because it's weird in our culture. So we talk about the weather, but that's what we're really saying. Yes. And I think it's lovely. But I do still
0: think that in some ways I might quite like a robot nurse. So, for example, there's the case you mentioned of someone having to change your pants and do something sort of a bit undignified. I'd rather that was a robot Robot than than my poor spouse or child or somebody who really didn't want to change my pants and have to see that. Um, And... Also, sometimes I want not to have to engage emotionally with a real human being, because I find that quite difficult. And if a little robot came in and said, how are you today? And I said, oh, very well, thanks. And the robot smiled and put on my favourite music.
1: I might quite like that. Well, have a nice time. <laughs> <laughs> but robot lover. Okay. Robot lover.
2: So if you had a robot lover, yeah. would you be being unfaithful to your wife? Ooh,
0: I've never thought about that. Maybe. I think... Yeah, yeah, now that's maybe. You would. Yeah. You know. Especially so now, if they were very convincing.
1: Especially if you were emotionally involved.
0: Yeah, exactly. If, if I, you're emotionally involved with I haven't seen it, the but there robot. is a mo- movie, isn't there? Of somebody who falls in love with their uh, AI. On I,
2: I think this is a terrible world. This is the sort of world. I'm glad I'm dead when this is going. To, I'm so glad not... I'm going to be dead when this happens because it's going to be terrifying. So not something you're looking forward to. Well, I I think...
1: just... like, relationships in, in, are very, very difficult. So I can see it's very tempting to sort of outsource them to a a robot. But that's what we've got golden labradors for because they'll do. they're, they're a bit like AI. But they like can't I would change
2: would... your pants, though, can they?
1: They'll try. I'll run around the house with I them. Was attacked. I was attacked
0: by a golden labrador as a child, so I have slightly traumatic memories oh, okay. associated with them. Okay, so that's another good. reason why I'd rather have a robot.
1: Okay, fair <laughs> enough.
0: Final footnote on this question about technology and emotions. I have seen both of you with your phones this morning. Yeah. Do you have an emotional relationship with your smartphone? And can you briefly tell me what is the uh, what are the good and bad parts of that emotional relationship?
1: I have an emotional relationship with my smartphone because it's an instant connection to Loads of people I love or loads of people I'm interested in what they've got to say. It's, it's sort of like a thousand people condensed in one little bit of phone for me. And also I can play automatic bridge on it. And when I play bridge, I'm actually doing that thing with AI because I am pretending those are people in a way. Except for they're really good because they don't dither and they play really fast. So
0: is... Uh- smartphone bridge good for your emotional health
1: is a no it's not because when i'm playing bridge with a computer i'm getting low level contact that i'm substituting for real contact with real people and what i need is real contact with real people but people are difficult and so those people that play bridge with me they're always always available because they're robots.
0: <laughs> Giles, you and your phone. Oh, so I have a very
2: pathological relationship with my phone, but I mean, you know, I think it's it solves my it's an instant way of solving my frustration at being alone when I am. Um so if I'm sitting there having a cup of coffee uh, and I suddenly begin to get, I'm too much for myself, and my emotions are too much for myself. It's just an instant way of getting it out.
0: So replacing some bad emotions with some slightly more comfortable
2: well, ones. Well, no, yeah, but not bad ones. I just, No, I don't think they're bad okay. ones. I think they're ones that, again, I think they should be born, actually. And, yeah. and I think that you should just sit there
1: and you yeah, should wor- be bored. I or worry you about be- this. I think you know we used to have moments of existential angst you know we'd come come in from work and if we didn't switch the telly on before yeah. phones were invented immediately yeah. we'd sit with ourselves and think okay what do i want to do what do i want right now and then we might think oh i feel lonely so i'll go next door and see if anybody's there yeah. or oh, I feel like I, I've got an idea for a poem or a picture or... You know, I think because we don't have this... now we're straight on the phone. We're straight on the phone. So that, that that gap where something could grow, we could create something out of it, either a better relationship or a picture Good. or a poem or, or a, a new way of making bread or whatever it is, we're not being as creative because we are filling that gap with, in my case, Computer Bridge.
2: One of the reasons I love church, actually, is that it's one of the places in our culture that you're allowed to be bored. I mean, it seems to me a richly creative state, but people, people are so afraid of being bored these days. I can't come to church because it's boring. And sometimes there's a certain sort of concentration that requires something that's proximate to boring, which is actually rather important for us. But And that's the other thing, that the mobile phone is there to sort of, as it were,
0: fix, and it's terrible. Okay, well, I'm afraid we're going to have to draw things to a close there. But that's a great note to end on, which is less addiction to our mobile phones, a bit less um, smartphone bridge and more boredom.
1: Yeah, more boredom. But unfortunately, you won't
0: get that from listening to the rest of this podcast series. But you can get it in other ways, such as going (laughs) to church or just sitting quietly on your own confronting existence. So thank you so much to my guests, Giles Fraser and Philippa Perry. It's been absolutely wonderful to delve into the world of emotions with you and to try and get a bit more insight which we definitely have thank you everyone for listening to this the first episode of the Living With Feeling podcast which is brought to you from the Centre for the History of the Emotions at Queen Mary University of London I'm Thomas Dixon do subscribe to the series and listen to all the episodes and thank you very much to the Wellcome Trust for supporting this podcast and thank you especially to Natalie Steed for producing it